Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to the Believe in 76ers podcast. I'm Justin Grasso. And I'm Kevin McCormick. And this is a podcast dedicated to covering the Philadelphia 76ers on the Believe Podcast Network. Kev, it's off-season time officially. The Sixers, we already went through. They lost game seven, dropped it, whatever. It doesn't matter. It's time for the off-season. But first, we have to unpack everything that happened pretty much right after game seven, right after they dropped that game. Obviously, Doc Rivers that same night wasn't in the best of moods. Understandable, his team just pretty much choked the second round series away, but we were fortunate enough to get, I guess it was like 20 minutes, a 20 minute exit press conference on uh, Monday. The next day he was in a much better mood and uh, there's a lot to unpack here. Very, very much a lot to unpack. <laughs> yeah. So, we, so basically what, what we want to do is just kind of basically go through it, break it down, talk about it, kind of uh, just discuss what happened throughout the season and kind of, you know, find out what the Sixers need to do moving forward. So with that, this was Doc Rivers' first season as the Sixers head coach. Uh, it came after seven years of Brett Brown, seven up up and down years of Brett Brown. Um, so when Doc was first hired as the Sixers head coach, the idea was they're bringing in a guy who has – championship experience he's a seasoned coach this isn't you know brett brown when he first came to philly it was his first head coaching job so with that the sixers lose in the second round do you think doc rivers first season as the sixers head coach was a disappointment i would say his first postseason as the sixers head coach was a disappointment but the season as a whole not at all i mean look at what he did Although, you know, Ben Simmons obviously fell flat in the regular season, but there were still at times where Ben Simmons had some really nice stretches and looked like he was untapping a new part to his game. Joel Embiid was arguably the the MVP for a good portion of the season before he goes down to injury. And Tobias Harris was, you know, borderline all-star. Some felt he should have been an all-star. So Doc definitely was able to elevate those kind of guys. I thought that the, you know, the kind of respect that a coach like him commands helped with the improved culture. And then obviously looking at things from a whole, going from a six seed last year that couldn't win on the road and was very night and day throughout the whole season. This team was pretty solid throughout, throughout almost all the regular season. And they ended up winning the Eastern Conference, something they hadn't done in 20 years. So although they fell flat in the postseason, I still think it's very hard to say that this season wasn't a success. Definitely. I mean, there are definitely parts I agree there. Like you, you mentioned the road record. I mean, they were awful on the road under Brett Brown, especially last season. So, you know, that was a positive. And then obviously the Tobias Harris thing is a borderline all-star. It looked like, I mean, everyone was saying he has the worst contract in the NBA and then he kind of comes out and, and looks like an all-star and, and Doc got him back to playing the way that he played when he was with the Clippers. Um that's where I stopped because obviously Joel Embiid had an MVP season. That was going to happen regardless. Before they even decided to hire Doc Rivers, Joel, I mean, we, we saw the offseason workouts he was, he was going under. Uh, he hired a, a staff of his own. So, you know, what it was a nutritionist, massage therapist, all of that. 
So that was going to happen regardless. I think, I think Joel felt so snubbed after last year, not getting, you know, all NBA and all that stuff. So I think regardless, he was coming in with that chip on his shoulder and was going to play like an MVP. And then as far as Ben Simmons goes, I mean, I see the same player as, as last year. I mean, he's still great defensively. And honestly, that's, I think, where Doc's biggest disappointment is. And we'll, we'll dive more into that later on. But, you know, when Doc first came to Philly, the idea was he's supposed to be holding the stars accountable. He's supposed to be getting the most out of the stars. Obviously, he did that with Joel. But like I said, I don't think that's hard to do because Joel, you know, wants to be as great as he was. And with Tobias, obviously, Tobias can take heat from his head coach, and Doc knows that. Now, with Ben, again, we saw a full season of him get coddled. And I even said there were points where I think he even defended Ben more than Brett Brown did when Brett was here. Because there was a point where Brett kind of was like, you know what, forget it. I'm just like, he's not listening to me behind the scenes. I'm going to the media. He's got to do this. I want to see this more out of him. And it backfired. And that's unfortunate. But Brett did what he had to do to try and unlock another part of Ben's game. Ben didn't listen. Ben didn't do it. Doc didn't really get that out of Ben either. And there wasn't really a time where, like I said, he just defended him more than anything. So I don't expect him to throw his star under the bus in the media. But at some point, like you do have to admit, like, yeah, th- this guy's got to, you know, unlock some parts of his game. And Doc just simply would not do that this season. I definitely agree with the defending thing. It definitely hit all time highs when Ben said after a game that he needed to be more aggressive offensively. <laughs> and then the next day, Doc contradicts Ben's own assessment yeah. of needing to be more aggressive. Um, you know, he went as far to call him a treasure and stuff. But, you know, I've talked to some people you know, before games and such, and I feel like his his adoration for Ben stems from how he felt about Rondo in Boston. I feel like Rajon Rondo was a player that Doc Rivers brought up constantly throughout this year when talking about his past teams and such of, you know, just the way that Rondo saw the game and the way he was able to operate. And I feel like he views Ben in the same light that he views Rondo, which, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. Rajon Rondo at his peak was a great player and all, but I agree that there was, you could see the the coddling and, you know, calling him a treasure and, t- and saying that people need to, you know, admire what they have now before it's gone. But even with that, I still feel there were parts of the season where, Doc was doing more with Ben than I think Brett ever did before. You know, we saw a lot more of of Ben as a post presence at times, using him as a roller in the pick and roll and trying to unlock that parts of his game, even if it was for small samples. You you know, it's it's year one. You got to walk before you crawl kind of thing. And even the first half of the year, Ben was remarkable from the foul line. So there was, you know, some some increase in his game. I don't know if that's more from Doc or having a guy like Sam Cassell behind him as well. But Although it wasn't a, a complete turnaround like we saw from a Tobias Harris, I think there was small inklings there of Ben sewing. Just even if it's it's little samples of growth, it's still growth nonetheless. Yeah, so we're just gonna get straight into it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mentioned we'll we'll get it later. We're already here. Let's talk about it. So Rivers Doc said that he had a very good sit down with Ben um, on Monday. Uh, I, it didn't sound like he he met with every player that day but he met with uh, a good chunk of them and Ben was one of them. And then he says that they're actually going to have another sit down in a week. So 
I don't really know what, what goes down in these sit downs or whatnot, but doc says that he knows exactly what he wants to do with Ben and he's very bullish on Ben, but he also acknowledges there's work to be done. So obviously he's not going to go straight out and and say, you know, what they're going to work out uh, this summer, but the free throw thing was like the number one thing that he brought up. Obviously we know that that was an issue. I think his free throws were like 34% in the playoffs. That's bad. Like (laughs) you're a point guard making 34% of your free throws. That's, that's very bad. But Doc believes that if they specifically focus on that, it will magically unlock other parts of his game. Are you buying that? Yes and no. I don't think that him, like, even just sustaining his average is going to unlock anything else. But, I mean, maybe from a confidence standpoint, if he feels that he can go up to the line and he trusts his form and and his routine that – Maybe it could lead to him becoming a spot-up jump shooter. I mean, you won't really know until you see it, but I would say that you you could buy a little bit of it, but I'm not buying it completely. Yeah, it's it's so difficult to buy stock in Benson and shooting at this point. Like, listen, I the whole time I, I was listening to Doc talk, it's like in previous years when Brett and Ben himself would say, you know, certain stuff in regards to working on the jump shot in the off season. It was always like, if you look at it from a fan standpoint, it's exciting. It's like, Oh man, he's going to take this next step. At this point, it's like impossible to even be optimistic about Ben Simmons coming into a season and just like unlocking a, a jump shot, not even a three point shot, a jump shot. How many off seasons was where their videos posted of Ben just like killing it in a high school gym. And they're going around right now. Like you see the summer league videos from when he was a rookie. Uh, I think it was two off seasons ago. There was one in a, in a gym where he was playing live scrimmaging and, and hitting threes like crazy. It's just not, it's not a thing. It really just, there's no way anyone can actually believe that he's going to come in and start doing that next season. And I think what makes it so frustrating at this point is that it's abundantly clear that he can do it. Like there's so much tape on it. Like you said, the that those videos from two summers ago of him in open gyms where he's hitting post fadeaways and he's breaking down he's breaking guys down off the dribble and you know, shooting off the dribble and spot up threes and even hitting some deep ones too. It's just it's there. We all know it's there. And it still just doesn't translate onto the court. And I agree at this point, you know, Doc Rivers could say everything he wants, but it is extremely tough to buy that kind of stock right now after what we've seen over the past four years. Yeah. And it, it's so confusing as to why like this is happening. So uh, apparently the way it's trending is that there's too many yes men around Ben Simmons. And there's a lot of coddling. I don't, I don't know if you saw Stephen A. Smith yesterday. Yeah. Are we really <laughs> full? Are we fully buying that though? I mean, listen. When it, when it comes to other stuff, like you know, just anything. I get it. Stephen A.'s, you know, he's an entertainer. But at the end of the day, he covered the Sixers. He was like the top beat writer covering the Sixers back in the day. Clearly, he has sources within the organization. So. I don't know. Like, obviously, you, you take it how you want. But either, even aside from that, uh, Jerome Weitzman, 
Did you read his piece at, with Fox Sports? Yeah, I did. It was some. Does some that not kind of does that not back up what Stephen A. Smith's text was? He's coddled. He's surrounded by family members and and the yes men and the yes women. And listen, it's just it's up to Ben Simmons to decide when he wants to change. There was a quote that he said after that game seven. And I mean, it was alarming. It was like, he just had a terrible series offensively and clearly like there's something that he needs to change and he needs to acknowledge that. But even when he said I had a bad series, he decided to pull the whole, well, how many assists did I have? Oh, right. Well, what I do on Trey Young on defense? Oh, right. And then he said, that's my game. It is what it is. If that's your game and it is what it is, then don't call yourself a superstar anymore. If you're not going to improve from that's that's your game, it is what it is, then it's time for the Sixers to understand, like, all right, if this is this guy's mindset, maybe he needs to go somewhere else then. Or not even that he has to go somewhere else. It's just that you need to completely change the lens that you view him with. Like at this point, I think it's abundantly clear. The point guard experiment is over. When right. I think when Doc said he didn't know if Ben could be a point guard on a title team, he pretty much was giving the answer of how he felt and that he doesn't think so, which it's clear after that postseason experiment. I mean, a lot of people try to rag on Ben and say that he's like a souped up Draymond Green. They try and use it as an insult. But in reality, Ben could be used like a Draymond Green type player and be extremely successful. You know, it might not be a superstar, but I mean, Draymond Green was a key piece of, you know, one of the best dynasties of the modern era. And what made him so good was that with his ability uh, to, to see the floor and his IQ and his passing ability, he was still surrounded by two guys who could get it done on the perimeter and open up the floor and, you know, help his offensive shortcomings. So I think it's abundantly clear now that if Ben Simmons stays in Philadelphia or even if he's traded, wherever he goes, he needs to be that that point forward, that Draymond Green type guy. I think that is the key to truly untapping him, not even just in the regular season, but more importantly in the postseason. Yeah, like we said before, like there's nothing offensive about being Draymond Green. Like, yeah, Draymond. From- like he might not be the same player that he was, you know, a few years back, but like that happens. Like players regress over time. The issue that I have where you put Ben at the four is – he still has to like improve his game and still has to be able to Mm -hmm. do other stuff when he, you know, he basically played power forward in that second round series because he's passing the ball off and then he's going to where, you know, where the basket is. And then when he gets the ball and then he spins off of a player, a power forward throws down a dunk, a power forward doesn't pass off to the small forward. So if like he's he's just not willing to even attempt really a, a fadeaway jumper, he's not even willing to throw down a, an easy slam dunk. So his best quality on offense is passing, right? Do we agree with that? Yeah. So you're taking the ball out of his hands. Now you take away his best quality at you know from being a point guard, and then all the stuff that he has to do, he's not gonna do. So basically, again, you're playing four on five. You have him at power four, but he's scared to death to shoot. Draymond Green's not the best shooter, but Draymond Green's going to launch a shot when he has to, you know? So it, it just comes down to you can change Ben Simmons' position all you want. It doesn't matter. It's not going to make a difference until Ben Simmons decides that simply saying, that's my game, it is what it is. Get that, like, get that out of your head. Like, 
time it's time to unlock the other parts of your game you don't have to go out there and be a 40 percent three-point shooter like i get people ask for that that's not what your team needs you to do your team needs you to be fearless and i get it it's mental and he needs you know this time off and he'll get that and listen i hope he clears his head like i'm rooting for him to be a confident player i don't want to see ben simmons fail but at the end of the day it's getting to the point where you're this all-star veteran guy. Your team needs you to change. He right now is unwilling to change, and he's proven that for how many seasons now? Um, I guess four now, but l- yeah. listen, you literally just said it. Mental. It's Ben Simmons' growth this offseason doesn't need to come physically. All of his uphill battle and his the improvement he needs this offseason is between the ears. He's more than capable of getting this all done. The play you just mentioned where he he spun off Danilo Gallinari and passed off the Matisse Thibel, that is not a physical thing. That That is mental. It is all the game between his ears and not the game being played on the floor. So I think if, like you said, if he can untap that that part of his his brain and his game and completely change his outlook and you know almost hit the reset button on the way he views himself and the game around him, that is where the real growth comes because he still has all the physical tools. We know he can shoot the ball. We've watched him, you know, warm up for years now. The, the tape is there, like we talked before, the, the high school footage. It's all there. The physical the physical tools and the fundamentals are there. It really all just stems from what's going on in his head. For sure. Yeah, I mean, it. listen, he, he gets time off. Maybe he sees a sports psychiatrist, which I thought he was already doing. If he is, then it's time to test out a new one. But, I mean – I don't, I don't think it gets that bad when you like stop working on, you know, the mentality and I get it. There were also hints of other stuff going on off the court. Um, obviously I won't dive too far into it, but someone actually asked, you know, the, the question that a lot of people were curious about, because there was obviously a very public family incident that, you know, with Simmons family and whatnot. And, you know, maybe that maybe that affected him throughout the season, which is highly unfortunate. Obviously, Doc Rivers wasn't going to go too far into it. He said basically it was addressed internally and he he doesn't know, you know, what goes through Ben's head. So he couldn't say if that affected him or not. He just said, if it were me, I think it would affect me. But I don't know for sure. Obviously, no one's going to ask Ben that nobody should ask Ben that. It's nobody's business. So. I don't know. I, I hope just from a human being standpoint, he gets his head right um, at the end of the season. But from a basketball standpoint, you know, he there's there's no solution for the team until he decides he wants to change his game. And with that, we'll jump off of Ben and um, l- let's talk about Rivers, Doc Rivers idea that the Sixers got too small too quickly in the playoffs uh, basically kind of, I don't know if he's calling out the front office, but kind of noting that like, we didn't, we didn't fix something in, uh, during the, you know, what, what is it? Trade, I guess, trade market or whatever. He said that there was no move to be made to get that. And Daryl Morey kind of said that too. Um, you know, what, what were your thoughts on that? I thought it was kind of puzzling because listen, I mean, essentially, the Sixers start two power forwards and a center. And then when you go to their bench, they have two power forwards and a center. You had 
Mike Scott. Granted, nobody wanted to see him on the court. <laughs> you, you still had him. You went and got Anthony Tolliver in the buyout market. You never played him. So I don't I don't understand why he felt that they were small when Tobias came off the floor, especially in the postseason, because Ben could have filled in the power forward minutes when Tobias was off the floor. So you still essentially had a six ten power forward and it was it was weird. Uh, it was kind of puzzling because this team had arguably nothing but size, but yet he still felt they were too small. Yeah, I I don't get it. <laughs> like, yeah, I don't get. I mean, maybe I don't even know. Like, it's confusing because I, I get like you know Dwight gives you size, but clearly Dwight was a problem in that series against Atlanta. So I get you don't want to use Dwight, but I mean, I guess maybe he means behind Dwight. Maybe he means like the. You know, if they had Tony Bradley, then everything would be a little bit better, which I mean, come on, like Tony had a good, what was it? Four games. Yeah, it was a small sample size. They struck while the iron was hot. But like before that, Tony Bradley, you had Doc Rivers basically saying Tony Bradley, he straight up said, oh, he didn't play well in this game. Like Tony Bradley was one of the few players that Doc Rivers like threw under the bus to the media when he had a bad game. So uh, I don't know. I don't, I don't get like, does Tony Bradley doesn't move the needle for you? Like (laughs) not to mention, are you that worried about your third center? Were you going to play an 11th guy in the playoffs? If you had another, I I, I am not even going to act like he, he wouldn't because he would with this roster. Why are we talking about Tony Bradley being the missing piece come playoffs? Like, it's just, uh, I don't get it. I really don't. It's, it's so strange. I mean, he did know Tony Bradley, right? He said his name. Uh, Daryl talked a little bit about a little oh, bit about Tony Bradley. Okay, yeah. I mean, it just it didn't make sense. Like this, the Sixers yeah. for the last two years are like they're like one of the biggest teams in the league. Mm-hmm. Like they like tall players. Like their point guard is like almost seven feet tall. Like, yeah. What you're talking about? You don't have size on the team. That was weird. Maybe you don't have size that can stretch the floor. Yeah, maybe. Maybe that's what he meant. But I mean, Anthony Tolliver is not the worst three-point shooter. I mean, right. he shoots weird. Same with Paul Reed. I mean, he's he can make a shot. It's a horrible jump shot, but like they go in. in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, I don't know. And like obviously, I don't expect him to play Paul Reed in the playoffs. But, but like but Anthony Tolliver's a seasoned veteran. And when he was on the court, get. he made like savvy, you know, veteran IQ plays. Granted, it wasn't always the perfect play, but he was always in the right place at the right time. And, you know, very rarely did the wrong thing when the ball swung his way. So if you really wanted that size, why did you not roll the dice with him more? That's, I mean, listen, I, I thought that too. Like I I figured, all right, you get him on a 10 day, you get him on a second 10 day, you finally sign him and give him an extra year for that flexibility. Right. But like you just don't use him. Like he just sits on the bench and it's like, Obviously, Mike Scott, like you can't play him anymore, and they accepted that. But it's like you can still try the other guy just because it didn't work out with one power forward doesn't mean you can't try the other one. But I don't know. It was again, it it just goes back to Doc Rivers' first season. That's like one of the biggest flaws is like those rotations. They make zero sense sometimes. But there was another thing that he pointed out, and it, it, it was one of those seasons where throughout the whole year you hear about how great the team chemistry is and the vibe checks and all that. And it's just like, this team is like so close and all this, but then like doc brings up 
their culture and how their culture needs change and their culture needs fixing. Where the hell did that come from? Yeah, that was kind of out of left field, especially because I feel like all season we talked about how, you know, night and day the culture was from this season to, to last season. If he thought this year's team needed an improved and better culture, what the, you know, what would he would have thought of, of last year? Because last really? year was just a complete mess. But who knows? Maybe he was talking a little bit more about in the playoffs of that. You need that culture of everyone more coming together when the going gets tough. Because, you know, in the regular season, when things are going well and you're winning all these games and you're the top seed in the Eastern Conference, it's easy for everyone to kind of be like fun and on their feet. And, you know, you see all the guys cheering for each other and all the celebrations on the bench, which we still saw through the postseason. But obviously when push came to shove, it, it's safe to say that the team crumbled. So maybe that's where he's talking about of, you know, that improved culture of, you know, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. Right. Yeah. And he did. I mean, he said in the moment of truth several times in the playoffs, guys went back to trying to win the game for us. I'm guessing he means he's hinting at the whole hero ball thing. He brought mm-hmm. it up game four, I think was the first time he brought it up four, when they dropped the first. Yeah. So they dropped the first game. He said hero ball. So I don't know. I mean, that to me, when I hear the term hero ball in in terms of that series, I immediately think Joel Embiid. I think that he might've saw Joel trying to do too much, which he was. I mean, he kept he to. going. To, yeah. But that's the thing. Like who, but who else is stepping up? I get right. Tobias tried at a point, but it was becoming clear, like, all right, his shots aren't falling. So, but then I, I think Joel got to the point where it was like, it was, he was being too stubborn about it. Like, I'm just going to do this myself. And then it ended up hurting them more than it helped them. But I don't know. That was weird. That whole culture thing was definitely weird. And then he kind of, he didn't even make it just really all about the team either. He kind of said the staff too, but then he kept praising his coaching staff. So I don't get it. Like, he's like, this is the best coaching staff I've had around me, but then says the culture around us needs to change even off the court. So it's like, I don't get it. What is good and what is bad? I get it. You don't want to give up too much, but the season's over. Like you don't have to be super political, super cryptic. Like what, what specifically needs changing in the culture? I just, I don't understand it. I mean, he could just be in the mindset of, you know, even though it was good, it could still improve. And I think it's just, you know, him hammering down that everything around the team can still improve after the way things went down, not just, you know, X, Y, and Z need to improve that, you know, everything all around can still improve, even if it was one of the brighter spots of the team this season. Yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, it makes sense. But um, on a positive note, because, you know, there's tons of negatives when a team drops a game seven, chokes the series away. On a positive note, um, obviously, one would assume that the future is bright for the Sixers. They have some good rookies on their team. And, no, I mean, Isaiah Joe wasn't brought up, which is unfortunate because we'll talk. We'll give Isaiah Joe his credit. But Tyrese yes, Maxey and Paul Reed um, were brought up. And Doc Rivers said that, They are two of the hardest working young guys that he's ever coached in his career. That's a big statement. That is a huge statement because Doc Rivers has been coaching for a long time. And has coached some great players. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, obviously we all know the the love that Tyrese Maxey received in Philly. It's warranted. I mean, he looks, he look, I mean, it may be slightly overrated in year one, but Looks, I mean, looks like a steal, absolute steal. 
And I think when he came out in that game six on the road, that told you all you needed to know about Tyrese. Like he can get it going. He can do it. And I mean, really that was their biggest game of the season before that game seven, because it was do or die backs against the wall. You're on the road and a rookie 20 years old comes out. And I mean, was really just lighting it up and looked fearless. So obviously there's a lot to be excited about when it comes to Tyrese Maxson. I agree. I think Doc said it best when he said that he he's not worried about or he said like he he's not worried about Tyrese like what work Tyrese doing or whatever he's doing because he's not worried about him working like it's it's abundantly clear that he is probably going to work and be in the gym every day this offseason. I think of every player on the roster Tyrese Maxey might be the most you know exciting player I think I'm looking forward to seeing in training camp next season just because of how completely different he could look he now is a full NBA offseason with an NBA coaching staff being around NBA trainers having that first season as a base and already improved so much in that first season that I'm extremely excited to see how he looks come September because like you said the Sixers completely struck a gold mine like he's a diamond in the rough it he should not have fallen to 21 and he has shown time and time again why he shouldn't have but the the excitement for Tyrese Maxey I think should sustain because we could see a very different player coming in the next season just because he's just a relentless worker he has extreme confidence in himself and that confidence stems from the endless hours that he puts in behind the scenes so he he is the guy that I'm without a doubt the most excited for yeah and a lot of people see I mean because he makes it clear that he's working because he he posts it on social media normally when you see players do that it's kind of a front like Mm. it's like you know basically building their their brand like yeah I'm a hard worker well, I mean, Tyrese is real. Like he's every day is in the gym. I also loved, uh, he, he had an exit interview too. And he was basically like, well, I'm trying to get back in the gym on Friday, but yeah. uh, they told me no, but we'll see how that argument goes. Cause like, he doesn't want to stop. Like he wants to keep working. And like you said, I mean, you don't even really think about how much he was gypped this season with, he got drafted. What, what was that? November. Mm-hmm. He got drafted in November December, he's doing his first training camp. Don't forget, he missed, I think, the first week because he had COVID. Mm -hmm. So he basically had this odd, odd training camp. Like, it's nothing normal. They had a shortened preseason. And then it's, like, thrown into the Wolves, thrown in regular season. He didn't have summer league. He didn't have any of that. So, I mean, to think that this kid's going to have a whole summer's worth of workouts – and then maybe I don't know if he's going to play summer league. Maybe summer league. Does. You hope he does or does sign me up for summer league, Maxi, dude. Could you imagine yeah, how fun that it. might be? He's going to kill it. He they should. I I think they will. I I feel like even if he just plays minimal time, I think just having you know he's going to want to be on the floor and just have him out there. Yeah, unless Doc Rivers makes some like crazy exception for him, because like, you know how Doc has that mindset where it's like you're young, you can you can handle the extra work, the extra minutes. Yeah. Yeah. So. I mean, part of me feels like they might be like, no, we don't want to risk injury with him, especially when you're uh, on the Sixers and playing in the summer league and you're a high-end high <laughs> prospect, but we won't get into that. Um, 
I don't know. I, I'd be interested in seeing him play in summer league. I, I think like you can use the reps, like let yeah. him get the reps. Maxie and Paul that. Reed together this summer league. Like, please sign me up. Maxie, Paul Reed and Isaiah Joe. Cause Isaiah Joe is definitely going to play in the summer league, I think. And obviously Paul Reed will as well. Um, but yeah, so let's just give credit to Isaiah Joe. Cause he obviously fell off the face of the earth there when things got serious for the Sixers, but I think Isaiah Joe showed a lot of promise in the limited time that he played this season. I agree. I mean, even heading into this draft, he was a guy I wrote about a lot as being a sleeper guy because there's something there. I think he's very fundamentally sound defensively and that if he puts on the muscle, he could be a more than reliable three and D guy when he's given the chance, when he got given the chance throughout the season, he showed that he's got the nice stroke He's fearless when it comes to shooting. He's not scared to let it fly. So if he can continue to, to build on that weight to where defender or opposing teams can't pick on him easily defensively just because of how thin he is and he can't hold up against NBA athletes, I truly believe that all three guys the Sixers drafted last year could be rotational pieces, if not here, just in the league in general. Yeah, it's – I mean, that's a, a home good run. draft. <laughs> that, that is a good draft. And the funny thing is – Dow Morey has more of the reputation of trading draft picks, which mm-hmm. I think, I think we're going to see that this year. I think we like, we'll, we'll go over his press conference as well, but he definitely gave the indication of like, I'm not drafted this year. Yeah. <laughs> like, we're just going to, we're going to spend these picks on something else. But I mean, he used three, pick. would they have four picks going into that last year? They had four second round picks alone. Okay. So and then they I know traded one of them one. traded for Seth. Yeah, one went in the Josh Richardson trade, and then yeah. th- they picked 21, Isaiah Joe, Paul Reed. Right. Okay, so, I mean, re- I mean, three for three last year. Because, like, Paul Reed was late, too. Like, that was a late yeah. pick. And this guy's the G League MVP. Obviously, I don't I don't go crazy for uh, G League awards because if we remember, Mariel Shayok, who's your boy, uh, <laughs> was – I mean, he was in the conversation for G League MVP last season. I don't even think – I mean, where is he playing now? Uh, I forget. Where was Was it? he in Turkey? I want to say Turkey. Yeah. Yeah, so, like, he – I mean, again, G League is completely different ballgame. I think well, I Robert mean, Covington won an MVP in the G League as well. Well, when it was still the D <laughs> yeah. League at the time. Yeah, so he's – I mean, he's a good example, but – Again, there's there's plenty of examples as as to why you can't buy too much stock into that. But Paul Reed did get some regular season minutes with the Sixers. He showed some flashes. And, I mean, there's plenty of things to get excited about. And the fact that Doc points him out as, like, this very hard worker, and we've seen it after games he comes out, he's getting some shots up. So, yeah, I mean, these young guys, they definitely got young guys with the perfect mindset. And – even with Isaiah, I know Isaiah Joe wasn't, you know, talked about, but like you said, def- defensively, I think was where I was most impressed because I didn't expect anything out of it. But obviously we know he can shoot the ball. He can shoot threes and he's fearless of shooting. Like he wants to shoot threes. Like he just wants to light you up from beyond. So I think that that's an exciting prospect. Uh, Summer league is going to be fun for sure. Especially if Tyrese plays because mm-hmm. Tyrese might win MVP and in, <laughs> in summer league because like I could see listen, it. he's the real deal, man. But um the the last thing that we have here is is really just Joel Embiid and his uh his knee recovery. Obviously, 
Sixers are still discussing what's next with that um, towards meniscus. Now, I again, I'm no meniscus expert here. I'm not. I don't know anything about medical. I definitely have not gone to medical school. So, all we know right now is there's still the door open for Joel to get surgery, but the team like this just doesn't seem sure right now. My only thing is I hope whatever the decision is, they, they make it soon because although we're getting back to the normal NBA timeline, next season is still, you know, almost right around the corner. It's yeah. we're, we're almost in July right now. Training camp is going to be in September. So if Joel needs surgery and he needs that time to recover, but not only that time to recover, to recover and be able to properly ramp up to where he can be ready for next season, you know, it, it's it still kind of is go time despite the season just ending three days ago we're already talking about training camp so whatever they decide to do i just hope that that the decision's made soon and that it's the right one yeah i'm sure it will be because i mean like we know joel really worked hard last year's offseason it was obviously short so he had no choice but to do that but i mean his his post-game press conference after game seven again this guy's like I, I didn't do enough. I got to add to my game. He just had an MVP caliber year, was the best player on the floor with a torn meniscus. So the fact that he's talking about, I have to do more and expand my game. Clearly he's going to have a busy off season. So if there is surgery that needs to be done, he's probably going to get it very soon because like you said, there's not a lot of time left based on, what Doc said, based on what, what Daryl Morey said, it doesn't sound like it's heading towards surgery, mm-hmm. but you never know. And I, I have heard, again, not a medical expert, but I have heard that meniscus surgery is kind of iffy. Like it, it doesn't always like do not the wrong thing, but like the right thing either. Like there's, it can recover on its own, basically. If you go through the proper treatment. Obviously, this is pro basketball. They're going to get them the proper treatment. Um, try to trust the Sixers medical staff. <laughs> I can't even say that with a straight face, but things change, man. Things change. Things get better. Um, do they? Are we sure they get better? Things. Listen, things get better. Trust. Trust the process. All right. <laughs> so that's all we got for today. Thanks for tuning in, Kev. Drop your Twitter handle. It's at Kevin MCC NBA. Mine's at Jay Grasso underscore. And we'll be back again soon. We're not, this might be the off season, but we have a lot to unpack in this off season. There's a lot to talk about. Like I said, Daryl Morey had his exit press conference. So we're definitely going to break that down. Definitely going to unpack everything there. And um, hopefully we do that soon. So thanks for tuning in.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.